Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You don't always have to like him, but you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. I sorry, I was just lost in thought. I was just thinking about. Um, I was just thinking about these guys um, <laughs> getting on the motorcycle, <laughs> looking for adventure, <laughs> and make sure you catch the early bird special. Ah, we're all getting a little younger. Those are from our biker days. We're not over, eh? Biker days? No. I'm just looking at the. <laughs> at a quote from uh, Kathleen Wynne, the Premier of Ontario, speaking about the entry of Kevin O'Leary into federal politics. And the Ontario Premier said, he doesn't seem to be worried about middle-income families who are feeling insecure. He seems to be much more worried about the very rich and making sure they're made richer. That's certainly not a value I would share with him. Premier Wynne. Please. He doesn't seem to be worried about middle-income families who are feeling insecure. Premier, when? <laughs> you got to be kidding. Do you not pay attention to what's going on in your own province? You apologized for making a mistake that creates insecurity in the homes of middle- and low-income Ontarians. Please. All right, I spoke with uh, Kevin O'Leary on Friday. I'm going to play back for you parts one and two. We played those yesterday, but I want you to hear him again. And a lot of people didn't hear the segment, want, want to hear what, what he had to say, because he wants to be prime minister. And then we'll add part three, which no one heard yesterday. Have a listen. Mr. O'Leary, why you for CPC leader and ultimately prime minister of Canada? Why not a former Harper Conservative government cabinet minister with experience in Ottawa? I think we're seeing a phenomenon emerge, not just in Canada, but globally. Certainly in the U.S., we saw it in Britain on the Brexit movement. People are tired of politicians. They, they want more honesty, a direct conversation with their leader. But above all, they want some executional excellence. And so few politicians have ever run a business and ever grown an economy, getting their hands dirty and doing deals. And I think that same tone is coming into the Canadian psyche. I think we're frustrated watching Trudeau's incompetence and watching these mistakes being made over and over again, but mostly watching the economy 
grind to a halt. 0.7% GDP growth is alarming for Canada because we can't support education, the social net we have a contract with people with, and health care. Just you saw the squabbling last week on transfer payments. That's because there is no money. And so we, we need to get the economy back and in order to do that. And this is a remarkable situation. I mean, you know, the way I look at things right now, What's going to happen here is actually Justin Trudeau is going to elect Kevin O'Leary. He just has to keep doing what he's doing because he really made a huge mistake and missed a massive opportunity. When Trump was elected, a surprise to everybody around the world, he should have used that as an excuse to reverse all of these policies that he's put in place on carbon, on taxation, on regulation, because we have to compete in North America, and now we're in a woefully uncompetitive situation. But he didn't do that because he doesn't understand. And so now we find ourselves in deep trouble because you would not put a new car plant in southern Ontario. You'd pay 30% less, just 17%, 17 miles south of the border. You're not going to invest in oil and gas in Alberta. You'll do it in Texas where they've stripped away regulation. There's no carbon tax. You know, it's amazing to me that Trudeau doesn't understand that, which tells me he actually doesn't know what he's doing. That's really what's going on. Certainly something that I've heard from my listeners for some considerable period of time, and we've known about this movement, the populist movement. We've heard it on talk radio for at least three to four years. Now it's come to full bloom, if you will, and uh, as early as February of last year, there was a tremendous amount of support for Donald Trump from my callers across Canada. That didn't. That never waned. It just got stronger and stronger. And today, if you ask people whether it was appropriate, my callers ask them if Donald Trump is the perfect person for president of the United States. They'll almost invariably say yes. But we do have the reality of Justin Trudeau as prime minister. We have the reality of Rachel Notley as the premier of Alberta. We have the reality of Kathleen Wynne as premier of Ontario. We've heard we've heard from our callers who are struggling, struggling just to make ends meet in Ontario because of the massive electricity bills. We've already heard from people in Alberta who are suffering because of the carbon tax. What do you say, let's break this down into two provinces. Let's start with Alberta. What do you say to the voter in Alberta? How does a Kevin O'Leary government, a Kevin O'Leary as prime minister, improve the reality that exists on the ground now under the Notley government? You know, unfortunately, Notley doesn't work for me. I would have fired her a long time ago. I'm on the record on that a year and a half ago after her appearance in New York. I was stunned at how incompetent she was. And that was the first time I ever heard anything out of her mouth. And it's been a disaster ever since then. My promise to the people of Alberta is the Calgary, that, that, and in, you know, in Calgary, where I really see it manifest itself with just unemployment skyrocketing, the cavalry is coming. I'm going to go to Ottawa, reverse everything Trudeau did, everything, everything, and then I'm going to do what's right. We're going to have to figure out what, and we don't know yet, tax rates should be, because when Trump sets his in the next 90 days, we have to be competitive. Carbon taxation, gone everywhere. I will remove it everywhere. If a province wants to put on carbon tax, I'll reduce the transfer payments by that amount. I am going to make sure they behave properly. I don't want any carbon tax in Canada. There's other ways to deal with emissions. But everything Trudeau did, I'll reverse. You will forget his name 100 days after I arrive in Ottawa. So the same formula would apply to Ontario then with Kathleen Wynne, who has a cap-and-trade agreement. Kathleen Wynne, I've worked, and you know this, very hard to make sure she has the least popularity of any former premier. She's down to about 14%. I'm hoping to get her down to 5 
I'm shining the light of transparency on every move she makes. I've sent open letters to the people there. It's outrageous what she's done. She is such a poor leader, but I don't think she's going to survive another mandate. So I'm not worried about her. I'm unfortunately not going to get a chance to help her find her new career. She's going to get that in the next election in about 24 months. If the Ontario people were to elect a Liberal government again, and remember Patrick Brown, the conservative, progressive Conservative Party leader, has talked and spoken in favor of a carbon tax. If the Ontario people re-elect the Liberals, you're going to have to deal with the fact of a cap-and-trade agreement between Ontario, Quebec, and the state of California. What do you do about that? Cap-and-trade doesn't work. Here's why. When you have a very rich, fat company with lots of small tax that has a low-cost capital because they have a huge balance sheet, they never have to innovate. They never have to stop polluting. They simply buy credits. What a stupid system. I can't believe that. We have to actually implement something that was put in 40 years ago. The government went to the auto industry and said, we want a slow reduction of emissions over the next 30 years. You're going to meet those targets or be brutally fined. We saw what happened with Volkswagen. And we'll leave the money on your balance sheet so you could innovate, create jobs, create new technologies so that we can achieve our targets. Cap and trade is a tax grab. It's another way that Kathleen Wynne dreamed up sitting under a desk with a 60-watt bulb. All she does is try to figure out how to tax her people into oblivion. And look at what's happened to the economy. She's erased hundreds of thousands of jobs in the manufacturing space because we're so uncompetitive. There will be no carbon taxes in Canada when I'm, when I'm prime minister. I will find ways to make the provinces behave properly. So you have on the other side of the spectrum, you have Justin Trudeau, who threatens the provinces that if they don't begin a carbon taxation scheme a program by 2018, he'll force it on them. I spent a lot of time on the air with the Premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall, and recently Mr. Wall told us that uh, the day after Justin Trudeau announced in Parliament, arbitrarily, while Environment Ministers eventually were meeting to talk about a carbon tax, Trudeau got up in Parliament and arbitrarily announced there would be one. Mr. Wall told me the day after he spoke with Justin Trudeau, one-on-one conversation, and one of the questions Brad Wall asked Justin Trudeau was, have you conducted any kind of economic impact assessment of your carbon tax? The answer was no. Nevertheless, you have 10, I'm sorry, eight provinces that have signed on to Trudeau's or capitulated to Trudeau's carbon tax dictum or dictate. How do you, I mean, how do you convince all those provinces to go on side with you? You've already got Brad Wall. There'll only be 12 months of a, uh, a carbon tax because if it implements in 18, I'll take over in 2019, and I'll erase all that. It's very easy to compel them. They don't want to do this. They know it makes their province uncompetitive in the North American market. Or they will by 2019. I know, but I'll, don't worry. I'll get there, and I'll reverse everything. I will make sure that they, they're not under that covenant anymore because what I have to do is make the policies of, the, of our country competitive globally. That'll take a while, but I'll do it. And then I will crisscross the world, as I do every day as an, as an international investor, and tell Shanghai, Hong Kong, New York, Zurich, Geneva, London, Canada is open for business. That's what's happened. We're closed for business. You know, the job of government is very simple. You have to set an environment that's competitive, but you don't create any jobs in government. You set the environment, the tonality, the candor, the candace. You want people to understand the land is a place where you can invest your money. 
anywhere, anybody. If you want to come to Canada, start a family, start a business, it should be a place where you want to do that. And then you let that flower bloom. Right now, you can't, you can't grow a weed in Canada. Trudeau has poisoned the soil everywhere with stupid policies, and it's hurt us badly. Now, he didn't use the opportunity of the Trump election to say, oh, my goodness, everything's changed now. I'll pivot. I'll erase these policies because he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand at all. This is the gravest concern I have. I look at him now and I realize, because I had optimism when he first came in, I realize now he doesn't know what he's doing. And just look at his caucus. That is a study in mediocrity. I mean, he talked about diversity, that being the only thing he wanted. What about executional excellence? What about the ability to do a job? Show me those resumes. It's been a disaster. He's moving these mediocre operators on a mediocre chessboard back and forth. It's disgusting. It's hurting our country. That's the kind of thing I'm going to clean up. I wouldn't have hired any of those people. I'm going to fire all of them when I get there. You have to put, you know, the definition of great leadership is finding great people and asking them to do extraordinary things. That's what I've done all my life. That's what the Canadian people want. They're tired of this crap. Part one of my interview with Kevin O'Leary. Part two coming right up. Passionate. Patriotic. A little bit pugilistic and always professional. Hear what Roy Green has to say on the Chorus Radio Network. There's very little doubt Kevin O'Leary is a serious contender for leader of the Conservative Party. And if he wins that, he'll be, of course, a very serious contender for Prime Minister of Canada. As you listen to Kevin O'Leary, decide whether you would like this man to be your Prime Minister. What they don't want is a Prime Minister who stands up and says Canada has no core identity or no common denominator, and then refers to Canada in a New York Times opinion piece or interview as Canada being the first post-nation state. People are proud of this country. People want to be proud of Canada. And, Mr. O'Leary, many of them have latched on to one of your opponents, Kelly Leach, who says that she would question newcomers to this country on Canadian values. That has also received a lot of pushback. What's your view of that? You know, I don't criticize any of my fellow uh, conservative candidates. My plan is very simple. I do not have a monopoly on great ideas. I listen. I'm going to take the best of theirs to Ottawa on May 27th. It's that simple. There's going to be a decision made then when the members of the Conservative Party decide who they should send to Ottawa for the exorcism of Justin Trudeau in 2019. You have to pick someone that can win. I can't do any of this unless I win a majority mandate. And I've told the caucus privately, and I'll tell it to you publicly now, if I don't deliver a majority mandate in 2019, they can fire me. I'm, not, I'm in this to win, but I'm also in it to win for the Canadian people. I've never had a job in my life where I've worked for somebody. This is the first time ever I'm being employed by the Canadian taxpayer. And I look at it this way. You know, you think about the challenges we've got right now and, and, and everything that has to be done. I've got to attract immensely talented people into my caucus, particularly in trade and finance, and I'm going to do that. Build a team that Canada's going to be proud of, and then implement these policies as fast as I can. My job now, in the interim, between now and 2019, so that everybody understands this, is to shine the light of transparency on everything Trudeau does, to examine 
every one of his policies. Remember, I can read a balance sheet and an income statement. I will assess, assess the, the risk of everything he's doing and try to get him to do as little as possible until I get there because it just makes my work so much harder. And I've already said to him, do not paint 24 Sussex Drive until my wife sees the colors. <laughs> okay, this story has made headlines in the last couple of days. Arlene Dickinson wrote an uncomplimentary piece about you for CBC, that you're only in it for Kevin O'Leary, and uh, that it's all about Kevin O'Leary. Brett Wilson, also Dragon's Den, says in retort, if you will, that you have a big heart and you're a good man. What do Canadians need to know about Kevin O'Leary, the man? What do we need to know about you? You know, the reason I jumped into this race is, and it's really the straw that broke the camel's back, when I read that report that we are going to run deficits for the next 38 years and end up $1.5 trillion in debt, I immediately thought of my own kids, 20 and 23. There is no chance in hell I'm going to let Justin Trudeau do that to my kids. Zero probability. Now, that is not something we can allow to happen because we're only 36 million people. I mean, we would be so in debt that the future for our kids. I mean, look at the blue sky I had when I was growing up. I want my kids to have the same opportunities. That's the motivation in what drives me. Why do we have to have so much bounty wealth in this country in terms of natural resources, unlimited potential, and be so poorly managed? Why? Where is it written on my passport or in the Constitution of Canada that I have to settle for mediocrity, stupid policies, and just incompetence? I'm done with it. I'm pissed. And that's why I'm doing this. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've been saying for years on the air, and I've received no pushback from callers, given the size of this country, given our huge natural resources base, which apparently means nothing to Mr. Trudeau and his followers, given everything that we have that's available to us, why is this country even a dollar in debt? We're a dollar in debt. We're going to be $1.5 trillion in debt according to federal estimates, if this current path continues, we're going to be that much in debt because of political incompetence. And that, Mr. O'Leary, is why people want to know not only who will be sitting in the prime minister's chair, but what are you going to do? The whole issue here is in many ways the same thing for Canadians as it was for Americans. We're fed up. We're tired. We're just so weary of political leaders who say one thing, do another, and take care of themselves and their friends. But we want somebody who is different. You know, I've never been a politician. I don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe anybody any money. Voters will ultimately decide. They'll believe me or not. They'll give me the mandate or they won't. But I only have one objective. I'm going to go to Ottawa in 2019. I'm going to hire a very strong team of men and women to dig this country out of the hole it's in. And I'm going to make them very proud of their country. I want them to feel the way they did when they watched Canada win the hockey game at the Olympics. I want the same feeling back for the country. Now, when we come back, you'll hear part three of this interview. No one's heard that yet. And one of the questions I asked Mr. O'Leary was about Canada's military. There's been criticism about what he said about Canada's military. Stay with us. Taking on the Titans, standing up for the little guy. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
So you've heard parts one and part two of uh, my interview with Kevin O'Leary. I want to say to you, by the way, he's exactly the same way off the air that he is on the air. Exactly the same way. Very little time for small talk. Very little time in, in the way for just chatter. Just gets right to the point. So one of the areas where Kevin O'Leary has run into criticism in this country has centered around what he's had to say about Canada's military and Canada's warriors. I talked to him about that. Two of your Conservative Party leadership rivals, Michael Chong and Aaron O'Toole, have attacked you, with Michael Chong accusing you of an egregious attack on Canada's military after you reportedly said Canadians are known as international peacekeepers and that there's nothing proud about being a warrior. Listeners also sent emails challenging you on that statement. What level of commitment do you have to Canada's fighting men and women who you may well have to send into harm's way if you become prime minister? First of all, I'm proud of our warriors and I'm proud of our peacekeepers because I actually lived watching them work in Cyprus in the late 60s where they did remarkable work. Very few countries enjoy the brand we have as warriors and peacekeepers. However, I want your listeners to know something. Last week I went to work on the file of military spending. It's the largest variable budget we have. This is important for the men and women in the military. We spent $20 billion a year maintaining the military and $5 billion in capital expenditures. We should be very concerned that they get the most efficient equipment, the best deals possible, and the money is spent the right way to support them. I found situations like this, because I'm a manager, this is what I do. We have the largest border on Earth. We patrol it using C-140s at a cost of 38500 an hour. We're one of the only G7 countries that does not have a drone program. We could be operating drones for as little as $1,200 an hour and save $3 billion a year that could be put forward to new and modernized equipment military needs. We have a NATO commitment of 2% of GDP. We're only giving 0.9 because the country's broken. It's not growing. We can't afford it. That's Trudeau's fault. We need to have a very strong military with incredible, incredible efficiency in how that money's spent. Here's another example. The Liberals are contemplating buying F-18s. The cost of those are about $100 million U.S. apiece. But what Canadians don't know is that to maintain that aircraft for, let's say, 27 years, you would spend another $300 million. They are not guaranteeing me as a taxpayer that that money stays in Canada in maintenance. It's all going to Dallas-Fort Worth. What moron is signing that contract? I would never allow that, ever. I'm going to get my hands dirty in these files. There's so much mediocrity in how this is done. Our military deserves way better than that. Those jobs are very valuable. Engineering, maintenance on highly sophisticated aircrafts, that should be done in Canada by Canadian engineers. Instead, it's all being done in the U.S. Who signed that contract? Have him stand in front of me at my desk. He will not be employed anymore. Coal-fired energy plants. Ontario has taken them offline. The Fraser Institute just released a report saying it's essentially done very little, if anything, to provide air quality in the province of Ontario, that if they'd used cleanup technology that exists, these coal-fired energy plants would be perfectly feasible in 2017. We know that Donald Trump, as president of the United States, will not do away with coal-fired plants. He's returning those that have been taken offline back online. What would you do about that? So the truth is there's a really interesting technology that in, in coal burning and scrubbing that we in Canada 
could use. Instead, Kathleen Wynne and McGinty beforehand shut these down way too early, causing our electrical costs to move up 100% more than it should be. And obviously, it's caused huge economic stress to Canadian families living in Ontario. This is just poor management in play. What scares me even more is all of those McGinty bureaucrats are basically moved into the Trudeau mandate. So I find the same people that bankrupt Ontario hiding under Trudeau in Ottawa. They'll all be fired when I get there. They were the people that signed contracts at 80 cents a kilowatt hour for a commodity that costs two and a half cents. What moron would do that? When I find them, I'll fire them. Can, can you reverse those contracts, the contracts that were signed by the Liberal government uh, of Ontario, which are now causing such hardship to so many Ontarians? My plan was to sit with the new Premier of Ontario and look at them, many of them with Samsung, a giant global company. And I would look at it and say, okay, guys, you want to do more business in Canada, let's review the mistakes of the past. You know these contracts are egregious. Let's talk about the future in the context of the past. That's how you negotiate. Do I think I can help? Yes. I don't want to litigate the contracts. I want cooperation from, com- from companies like Samsung. I'm going to get my hands dirty on that file to help the Canadian people. That's what great leaders do. They manage out of difficulty. They don't just sit there and say, oh, McGinty signed a contract for 30 years at 40 or 80 cents when he should have only paid 3.2. That's Jerry Butts. He did that. These are all the people I will be firing when I get to Ottawa. We're not going to have – where does it say we have to do these stupid things to ourselves? Why? Why, 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 why? We're not going to do that anymore. We're not doing stupid deals anymore. I guarantee the Canadian people no more mediocrity. I want excellence in execution. I want the best men and women in positions to do the work that I give them. Set a target, achieve the goal, or, or there'll be somebody else doing it. Sounds to me like uh, you and – President Donald Trump would have a lot to talk about. We will. You know, that time will come. The only thing I have in common with him is we both work with Mark Burnett. He on The Apprentice, I on Shark Tank. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant son. There's no walls in my world. People know that. But we have to do business. We have to do business. We are the largest trading partner in 38 states in America. That's a big deal. That's also a lot of leverage. We want to build that XL pipeline. Let's work on that deal. The Americans owe us $3.2 billion that we got shafted going through the Obama advance for eight years. I want that back. So there's lots of things to talk about. I'm looking forward to go getting you know, to work when I get there in 2019. First thing I'll be doing is reversing everything Trudeau did. Everything. Everything. Anything he did, I'm reversing it. All right. So there is my interview with Kevin O'Leary, recorded this past Friday. After he announced his candidacy for the Conservative Party of Canada. So the first thing he has to do is win the Conservative leadership. And that's going to be a challenge simply because of the logistics that are in place. It's not easy to come in into the race this late and then meet all of the logistical requirements the party has in place. Memberships and you've probably heard and read the stories. So if he becomes the leader of the Conservative Party, then he sets his sights on Justin Trudeau. And then you would have that confrontation between Trudeau, Kevin O'Leary, whoever the NDP decides will be their leader, and perhaps Elizabeth May with the Green Party and one or two others maybe. But I think the, depending on who the NDP elect as their leader, decide will be their leader in 2019, 
the battle people will be staring at will be Trudeau and O'Leary if he wins. Now, who are his primary opponents in the Conservative Party race? There's 14 of them. Names that would probably come immediately to mind. Kelly Leach, Maxime Bernier, Kevin O'Leary, right? I mean, there's many more. There's 14, and I have a list of them here. But the question I have for you is this. Should the Conservatives elect Kevin O'Leary as their party leader on the 27th of May of this year? Because it all moves from there. You've just listened to Kevin O'Leary for the last, what if you've been with us, since the beginning for about 40 minutes. So based on what you heard, does he have what it takes to maybe earn your vote? Maybe. I won't ask you to commit. That's up to you. But does he have enough, if you heard enough, to maybe give Kevin O'Leary your vote? Maybe. But the first question is this one. Should the conservatives elect Kevin O'Leary as their party leader on May the 27th, 1-800-263-2428, 1-800-263-2428. Call me now. Should the Conservative Party elect Kevin O'Leary as its leader on the 27th of May, 1-800-263-2428.